0: Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources and veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and Mike Powell as we discuss how to support and take care of the people in your business for ultimate success.
1: Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. Hi, and welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast from Oculus Insights and all things related to human resources in the veterinary profession. I'm Dr. Mike Connell, and as usual, I'm joined by Katie Arline, the uh, HR specialist at Oculus. Hey, Katie, how are you doing?
2: Hey, Mike. Not doing too bad, thanks.
1: So it is, as we're recording this, it's towards the end of January. And that often means employee review time. And so that's Mm -hmm. nobody likes that, or typically nobody likes employee reviews. We kind of do, Uh, but it's interesting. There was two articles that just came out in the last couple of weeks on employee reviews, Uh, two different approaches on it. And I I thought those would be good discussion points just on performance reviews in, in general. So maybe you can, uh, Talk about the first article, Katie, and uh, let's have a good chat. This is—I love this subject, so I'm looking forward to this.
2: So the first uh, article is out of Harvard Business Review, the venerable HBR, and it is titled "Our Peer Reviews: The Future of Performance Evaluations" by Alessandro Di Fiore and Marcio Souza, and this is from earlier in January. And uh, I think I, I agree. I think the answer is yes. Next article. I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> I'm kind of reading this and I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. But not everybody does this, and it's still, uh, you know, a, a subject that people are aren't so sure about. So basically, the article asserts that the performance review process, as we know it, is archaic and out of date. Uh, you know, that sort of once a year, you sit there and your manager tells you all the things you've done wrong for the year, and then you either get a raise or you don't, and you leave. Uh, We're saying that that's kind of out of date. Uh, All the power rests with the boss in that scenario. And it really just becomes about the salary negotiation, trying not to cry. And it doesn't really help us develop ourselves as employees. It's just sort of sit there, listen, and leave. Talks about how the team-based structure of work is becoming more relevant, uh, where people have more autonomy. And I think more relevant for the veterinary world it's less boss reliant. Like you don't necessarily have a boss watching everything that you're doing all the time. Uh, particularly, you know, thinking of an equine ambulatory, vet, they're out on the road. I mean, how often does their boss actually see them in motion and working? Not so often.
1: Even in a small animal practice, it's not like you're in, uh, if you're the boss or the manager, it's not like you're in any, every appointment to see how they interact. You're not in surgery to see how they interact with the technicians. So I think as bosses and relying on bosses, it's such a limited way to get feedback on a performer. And particularly, and, you know, A, we're not seeing everything they do. And, but B, and it's just human nature. We have our biases. We have our preferences. And somebody just may rub you the wrong way. And yet every other employee loves them. Clients love them. But if it's just you as the boss, that's probably not going to give that person a fair shake. No, that's a good point. Totally.
2: So what the article talks about is that instead we should think about creating a socially based feedback system, which, uh, you know, we would just call a peer review feedback system. Uh, It really helps you get a large amount of feedback from all sorts of people within the organization. So people that, you know, line uh, buddies that you work with all the time uh, to maybe even, you know, just if, let's say if you are a veterinarian in a small animal practice, you have um, not direct contact with, but the receptionist or the customer service reps might have a good insight into sort of how you uh, communicate with them, what your communication level is like. So it challenges us to think outside of the bubble of who we think should be reviewing somebody else. And it helps us get a huge amount of feedback and helps us overcome that bias that you were talking about, Mike. Uh, you know, it's more relevant because you're getting it from lots of people. Uh, and then the boss is sort of um, still aggregates the feedback. So we'll get into sort of more details here in a moment, but the the manager still has a role in putting all the feedback together, kind of distilling any themes that are in that feedback, and then you know summarizing and talking about next steps and talking about development. So uh, it's you know getting so many more viewpoints and really relevant viewpoints than just the manager or the the boss or whatever the case may be.
1: Another factor that I do like having, and it's interesting how they added the the social reviews as opposed to peer review. It's sort of
2: right.
1: uh, let's let's try a new phrase. Maybe that'll make it more int- intriguing. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, everybody's trying to get published, so here's something brand new. It's the exact same thing everybody's talked about with a different name. But anyway, yeah, that's a good
2: point. I didn't think of it that way, but
1: yeah. No, what I like about it is, is as a manager or you know somebody that's you know as I said collecting the reviews is you're not spending all the time with the person is uh, I know in our organization we've been doing these social slash peer reviews for oh man over 10 years yeah you really discover new things about people like special skills particularly that you wouldn't know if it was just the manager and you are interacting with them maybe 20% of the day you're not necessarily seeing where people shine and that's why having this peer review People are really, uh, I find that uh, are, are excited to share what's great about other people that you know you might not experience or, or have recognized the value.
2: Definitely, that's a yeah, that's a great uh, reason you know on the four column for that. And I think also as a manager, depending on sort of the culture of your organization and how you manage, you might your interaction with the employee might be heavily based towards when you're correcting them or when they're getting constructive feedback. So. You know, you might see, you know, 95% of the time it's something corrective, whereas the other employees, uh, well, you know, you know, these, this person is actually really effective all the time. So mm-hmm. you kind of, uh, it really opens the window into uh, the big picture of what the employee is doing or not doing.
1: Yeah, for sure. So,
2: so they talk about um, six key questions or things to consider. Um, the first being who is providing the feedback. And we talked about this already just a little bit, but, you know, we're challenged to think about who is this person's network, uh, at all levels, including managers. So, you know, uh, thinking about an office or a bigger corporation, it might be much bigger web, but in a veterinary clinic, you know, you have people that you work with, you know, if you're a RVT, you might work with the same people. Uh, On your RVT team, you work with a ACA, animal care attendant, you work with reception, you know, you're sort of all over the place. Uh, And, you know, all of those people are people who can give feedback on you and you can give feedback on them as well. Uh, You know, it's not just people that you immediately work with. So it's something to think about. Yeah. The second thing is the question about feedback being anonymous or not, this peer or social feedback. I can't call it social feedback. Is this peer feedback anonymous or not? Uh, and the article says that ideally, no, uh, it wouldn't be anonymous. It should be open. It should be direct. It should be transparent. And uh, I agree that that's like the ideal state. But the challenge that we have is that um, particularly in really small groups, if we keep it anonymous, we can help tamp down some of that resentment that might uh pop up if people are giving negative feedback about each other and it could possibly damage relationships and really as i was reading that and as i was thinking about it i said i wonder you know if you gave people the ch- the choice of whether they wanted their feedback to be anonymous or not uh, how many of them would go for it but that's always a tricky thing because I mean, we always say if you're going to give feedback about somebody you should give an example so the person understands what you're talking about and understands the context. And that can be difficult when you're doing anonymous feedback. Uh, you know, unless it's a pattern where, the, you know, a certain behavior occurs in the same situation all the time, and it's easy to pull that out. It's always a challenge for a manager to say, okay, well, how am I going to get this feedback across and still keep it anonymous?
1: I was reading that, and I was having the same kind of hesitation that you did. But one of the things they don't talk about in the article, and I think we have recognized it's a best practice, is that, when you come in for the annual reveal, nothing should be a surprise to somebody. So in other words, throughout the year, we should be having smaller discussions with people. And so I'm just thinking of that situation of, yes, you do want to get that honest feedback. But if one person gives a candid feedback, you know, are you worried about some kind of bias towards it? But you know, so let's say you're having the reviews in February and something happened last August. It's pretty crummy to bring up the review in February. Oh, by the way, you did this in August is a yes. who remembers, you know, six, seven months ago, but B, you know, you're kind of thinking, well, if I why didn't anybody tell me? I've been going on sort of acting or doing something in a similar manner. I had no idea that it upset some people. And, oh, wow, that's great. I just, I feel like an idiot because I've been carrying on. So, you know, I think how you get around the, I think in a small practice, a small business, having a level of anonymity is preferred because it is a small team. But yes, if there are issues, if uh, a technician and a doctor are butting heads, that conversation should be happening, you know, when the problems are developing, not six or seven months later. So when you do bring up a review, it's, it's not like, oh, by the way, you and Dr. Smith, uh, yeah, they don't get along with you. It should be more like, Hey, since we had the meeting with Dr. Smith in August it seems the two of you have really made great strides in strengthening your relationship. What a wonderful thing. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I think it also raises the idea of having, you know, whether you want to, and maybe it's a different conversation or actually our next article, but do you want to throw out the entire, you know, yearly review and that's it. Process out the window. You know, we always say that we should be doing quarterly check-ins at least, you know, every three months, preferably sooner. So you have a constant feedback loop. And um, like you said, this, these things get brought up right away. They're dealt with from month to month. Things don't get to simmer and, and people build resentment for months and months on end. Uh, so yeah, I think you know you could have that system of checking in with people and just giving them feedback in the moment and teaching people how to give constructive feedback and how to receive feedback, obviously is pretty important. But you know, then you get to the end of the year. And to me, what I always say is, that the yearly review should really be a celebration of how you did and the progress that you made. It shouldn't be a laundry list of all your shortcomings. Like you said, any of that stuff should have been dealt with before. So yeah, I don't
1: know. I think that's where uh, annual reviews get their bad name because typically it is sort of like, this is where you suck. And so we're just going to go through this. And what happens in when you go into these meetings and you start off with this negative aspect or negative focus is, flight or fight kicks in then and basically what's happening are people are just shutting down all they hear is oh my god I'm, I'm bad at something and you focus on that and all you hear is like charlie brown's teacher you don't hear anything else but if you're going in there and it is that celebration and i think that's the, the appropriate word where there are no surprises and you can sort of go in there and as a let's sort of review where we did well in the year. I think that's a shift. And I think as veterinarians, I think not just veterinarians, most people, when you have this hierarchical relationship that you're always thinking, well, I, we got to be correcting things all the time. And let's just focus on that as opposed to, hey, let's shine the light on where you just excel and make that the foundation for our discussion.
2: Yeah. Maybe we should call them development reviews.
1: Ah. Instead of performance
2: reviews. You know, it takes yeah. up that stigma
1: one word can make a huge difference.
2: For sure. Hmm, let's think about it. Okay, so the next item that they think that you should consider is whether the feedback that you're getting is spontaneous or prompted. Uh, And really this is just, do you give people a mechanism to give feedback anytime? You know, if something excellent happens, people could give feedback, or if people need to, you know, some guidance back onto the tracks, then we give them that feedback right away. But it also says we need to make sure that people understand how much feedback they should give. And really, you don't want people writing like four page essays on every single person every three months, you know, it should be something that's relatively short, uh, to the point. And to me, I think, you know, getting feedback as much as possible is excellent. Uh, But then you sort of have to figure out how am I going to aggregate this and how I'm going to to present this to people. So, you know, you don't necessarily want a, a wave of feedback all the time.
1: So let's talk about some examples of how we do that, because as I'm listening to us talk about this, I think we should get into some specifics, because conceptually, this is great, but we're also so familiar with it. So the one thing they talk about here, and I think this is kind of neat, is you know, um, feedback is a mixture of you know what they do mm-hmm. in terms of specific job skills. So you may have different criteria for a receptionist versus a technician versus a doctor. But I think what they brought up here, and I was pleased to see, because I think this is key, is that at least half of the review has to be on how well they demonstrate the company values yeah, and company purpose. So it's not purely just uh, how skillful somebody is. That's important, but you're really using these reviews of to develop your culture, your working environment. And so I think so much more has to be focused on you know, how well they demonstrate your company values, your your vision, uh, you know, how how well are they teammates as opposed to how well do they do a procedure or clean up after a surgery? Those are all Yeah, The other stuff's really important as well.
2: Definitely. You know, instead of saying, you know, having it be so granular for, say, an RVT or LVT saying, how well do you place a catheter, have like a broader category that's just technician skills because ideally we're working on our skills all the time yeah. and it's not like like you said earlier it's not like you wait eight months to tell somebody they are not great at placing catheters we should be dealing with that in the moment so uh yeah it's more of an overall look uh and definitely getting more specific on the the values and on the, the aspects of culture that are important to the company is uh is really the good
1: stuff and i'm just using that example of placing a catheter Really, the biggest factor we should be considering is not so much that they need help uh, replacing a catheter is how well do they respond to feedback, how Mm -hmm. well they respond to coaching, how do they implement that? That's probably the biggest factor. I think, you know, whether it's a catheter or how they do any kind of the job is most things people can learn how to do it properly. It's how they respond to the feedback that's really probably more critical. And that ties into your values. Definitely.
2: And I think getting even more, uh, you know, drilling down a little bit more also, it reflects on how well people understand what our expectations are for all of these procedures as well. And how good is our training? And did we set them up to succeed? So it goes a lot deeper, for sure. Yep. So the next item to think about is uh, questioning whether all feedback should carry the same weight. Uh, And, you know, this is whether a feedback from a manager or, you know, somebody higher up, In the hierarchy, if you have one, whether that's more important than feedback that the people work with, Um, and what I always do and what I always say when we're talking to clients about this is looking for themes, and there always are themes when you get feedback, uh, peer feedback or social feedback from people. So you know, look at look for the themes, and I always say, you know, think about the figure skating concept where you know if there's one piece of feedback that's like so out in the left field. It might be something you go back to the person who gave the feedback and say, can we talk about this a little more? But if it's only one person saying it, then I tend to, you know, I I don't make it a main theme because it's only from one person. So it's like figure skating where you get rid of the worst score and the best score. That's sort of what uh, my philosophy is for peer reviews as well. You know, and I think feedback from everybody should carry equal weight. Definitely. What do you think about that?
1: hundred percent no i don't think what uh, one should have uh, be worth more than the other i think it's a team and everybody contributes equally to the team so their their feedback should be weighted the same 100 percent
2: definitely so the next question is and you already touched on it a bit is uh what categories of feedback should the peer feedback you know flow into and they mentioned i think what is what we always say is the basic questions of peer reviewing and it doesn't have to be complicated basically it's You know, what should this employee keep doing in order to remain effective? What should this employee stop doing? And what should this employee start doing? If you give people more leeway to make general comments, uh, I think you get a lot better information than if you asked. We used to um, have people give peer feedback on each individual core value and it just gets too much. Uh, And they tend to repeat things as well. So if we make the, the questioning a bit more broad, you get more information. And you see those themes come out
1: uh, as well. Yeah, you want to make it simple. It's really like, a, you know, red, yellow, and green light, traffic light type of concept. The one thing they don't talk about here, and here is something that we, and with all the reviews that we do with our clients, uh, is the self-review. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, I think the employee should have their opportunity to reflect on what they think they're doing well, what they have to stop and what they should start doing. And it often we'll find after a couple of years of doing this, what the the employee has is actually very similar to what their peers say. Yes. One of the things that we've started doing and I think has made a biggest difference is really starting to have a bit of a a description, you know, particularly when it comes to the values aspect of this is what, you know, an exceptional high level um, display of this value would be. This would be average. This would be below average. And people have a bit of sense like, oh, for me to be really kicking it in this one, this is what I've got to be doing. Uh, Having that kind of guide makes doing these a lot easier
2: definitely and it helps with self-awareness too you know it's it's interesting uh a lot of the time when you do these reviews for the first time uh you know we're getting a little bit off track and we're talking about sort of the bigger reviews but we have a scoring system between six and ten where ten is like you could write a book on this value and often the first time that we do these reviews you get a lot of tens because people are like well what the heck i don't have anything to lose and then when you say well can we go back to the scoring guide and we can, can we talk about you know, what you're doing and, and the behaviors that you're showing, then they're like, "Ew, well, maybe not. So it's, it's helpful for the self-awareness exercise as well. Uh, but you're right. I mean, people tend to be, uh, you know, after you've done this for a little while, they tend to be really uh, introspective and, and have a pretty good idea of, of what they need to work on. I mean, you're always going to have folks who are significantly less self-aware than others that are always a bit of a challenge. But generally, I'd say the majority of the population knows what they need to work on.
1: I, I find after a while, uh, within a company, you know, and it's not just my own but other companies that we have worked on, I love the self-reflection part the best because yeah. you you just sort of see how you see the curiosity, you see their interest, you see where areas where they recognize that they need to do better and and it really becomes a great launching pad for planning for the year, development, any kind of goals. And so yeah, I like it more of the development reviews than performance reviews.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think development reviews sort of is a more forward thinking aspect uh, approach as opposed to performance like it seems like we're going to look back as instead of looking ahead. So yeah, definitely.
2: Uh, and then the sixth point that they, the last point they talk about is keeping it simple. And we did talk about that, you know, having it be something that peer reviewers or social reviewers can fill out quickly, easily. They can do it fast. They're not spending an hour on each one, particularly if you're soliciting feedback from them more than once a year. Uh, they don't need to be, you know, going through an entire review for every single person they work with uh, yeah. multiple times per year. That's just too much. Um, so that's the list, you know, they talk about a few drawbacks, um, and I actually didn't think of this because usually we see the opposite, but a a drawback that they talk about is managers could resent having the power taken away from them to review people. And I find that managers are so happy to get peer review input. Maybe it's just their industry or the people that we work with, but they're so happy to have other, um, perspectives, you know, and they still distill the information down. They still um, interpret people's feedback. They still come up with um, those nuggets of ideas for development or goals ideas. But they're more curators of the feedback data instead of the person that's just telling somebody what they're doing wrong, which is what the traditional type review is. So, yeah. So, really cool article. I liked it. it yeah. stuff.
1: Well, hey, before we go on to the next article, we're just going to take a short break and introduce you to a brand new service offered by Oculus, Advice by Oculus. We'll be back in a second.
0: Veterinary practice would be so much easier if all we had to do was treat our patients. Instead, we also have to deal with the realities of running a business, keeping and retaining staff, attracting new clients, and maintaining profitability, to name a few. Veterinarians also struggle with navigating and managing the always-on mentality clients expect of them while trying to maintain a livable work-life balance while also managing student debt.
1: When you add in the uncertainty and volatility of the world outside our vet practices, the business aspect of veterinary medicine can take away the pleasure of being a veterinarian, practice owner, or manager. Fortunately, we have a solution. Advice by Oculus provides online personal performance coaching and business advisor sessions that are convenient, accessible, and confidential for the veterinary profession.
0: Personal performance coaching can help anyone develop confidence, motivation, and engagement. Your coach helps you identify what is holding you back and how to overcome these obstacles so you can reach your full potential. If you are struggling with your career and the negative impact on your personal life, personal performance coaching is for you.
1: We all know it can be very lonely, leading and managing a business. Often we find ourselves having to make decisions that can have a significant impact on finances, staff, and the overall health of the business without the confidence that we have considered all options before making our decisions. Having a personal business advisor with the experience and education for veterinary business management can help you clear a path to business success. We have been in your shoes and know what it takes to move forward.
0: It's as easy as picking your advisor or coach and booking your time. It's all done online. And for a limited time only, we are offering a 20% savings for all first time Advice by Oculus users.
1: Advice by Oculus, consider it like telemedicine for your business or career. Okay, we're back. And hey, and welcome to Hire the Smile podcast, episode 15. Uh, What we would really appreciate talking about reviews, whether you do, you're listening to this podcast on Apple or whichever one of your favorite podcast platforms are, please give us a review. We're noticing we look at it uh, every episode, we're getting more and more people. But uh, if this is something that you like, and you think is valuable to the profession, please just Either uh, put in a star or write down a review of uh, how you find uh, Hire the Smile. And we would love the feedback, too, because if all of a sudden everybody's giving us two stars, we got to change things. Hopefully, we're getting more closer to five stars. But, hey, we as ourselves want that feedback, too. And you are our peers, so let us have it. So I came across a really a, a contrary article. I, I wouldn't know if it's contrary, but this guy, he he runs a business. And he sort of said, after a while, you know, ah, we our organization used to spend time on management training, and by training our managers, that allows our employees to get better. He said, but I, you know, really, after a while, all I've seen is that good managers get better, and bad managers a bit less bad. And he said, in the end, a bad manager is still bad. A good manager was already good, but no matter what we do, it doesn't really change the dial. So this guy, his name is Matt Casey, and he authored this book called the management delusion the easy way to do a hard job and he's a co-founder of do things people management software platform and so what he basically said is instead of changing the manager let's just change how they do things and so what he thought is you know we do these performance reviews we score them What we would do is rate somebody between a one and five. We do six and 10, but you know, whatever, that was a scoring system. And from that would be the basis of a, of a raise or, or change in compensation. And, and that's what we do as well with our performance reviews is that score is part of a bigger discussion, but we use the performance review score as the foundation of, of raises, bonuses, what have you. So people understand that they are in control of how much money they make. And he just basically said, "You know what? I'm giving everybody a three, and I'm only going to talk to you if you think you deserve less than that, or you deserve more than that, uh, and you got to tell me why, and let's have a discussion." And he said that everybody got their score exactly right. He said the the ones that felt they were worth more, they came to them, came to him with the number, and those that thought they should have been had a higher score, but didn't when they had to go back to do the self-reflection and realize, yeah, you know what, maybe it was fair. I don't know. What do you think of this system? Uh,
2: I mean, I think it's it's interesting. I like it, you know, from a lazy manager perspective. I think it's awesome. But I think it. I mean, if somebody comes to you and says I'm worth more, like how do they, what are they basing that on? You know, it, it just seems a bit loosey-goosey in my opinion.
1: He said if people make judgments for themselves, uh, you know, they're more comfortable with honest judgments. And mm-hmm. I'm just sitting there. So you're again, we're coming to the boss, and it, to this seems like it's the one person who is the thumbs up, thumbs down. So let's say somebody comes to you, makes a very passionate case why they should be a four instead of a three. And you as the boss go, Nah, you haven't sold me on that. Yeah. Oh, that's gonna be so upsetting.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it, where's the peer, the social feedback, you know, yeah. kind of, I don't know. I could see this being like in a very small company with, uh, you know, a non-complex professional service type company. I could see this working, but uh, I don't know. I, I don't dislike the idea, but I'm just having a hard time figuring out how that's going to work. And and again, you're putting all the power uh, in the, the boss's hands who's sitting in their throne, like you said, the thumbs up, thumbs down. So yeah. I don't hate it, but uh, it's interesting. I, I think I really like the idea of people, um, you know, saying this is what I think I'm worth. Uh, you know, that that self review type component that we were talking about earlier. I think that part's great. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. We take high level self awareness and guts to be able to do this.
1: Well, and also, you know, if you look at a lot of research, and that shows conclusively that they've done really great research on um, people asking for raises, negotiating contracts. And sadly, women are not as aggressive as men are in asking for raises. And so I, I think this is not going to help any kind of wage inequality. Mm-hmm. What we have found in our system at least is, you know, you put in this much effort, you get this score, it's going to equate to this kind of raise. That kind of transparency people like this to me still sounds a bit arbitrary.
2: Well, and I'm thinking of, you know, clients that we have that go from existing for fifteen years and never doing performance reviews and then imagine throwing them into this kind of like laissez faire type yeah. <laughs> setup. Yeah. It would be like very dear in the headlights. So uh, you know, when they haven't been set up to be able to, to fight for themselves or, or or maybe they have been, maybe that's how they've been asking for raises all the time. Every five years, they get up the courage to ask the boss for a raise, uh, which, you know, isn't a healthy thing either. So I think there is something to be said for, I, you know, I think I should get more money and this is why, but I still like taking the ambiguity out of it, you know, by having the scoring, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Um, So vacations. Now, this is one area where I thought he's on to something. And basically, you know, instead of sitting there and having to approve vacations all the time, which, you know, depending on the size of your practice, your managers, you're actually spending a lot of time and you're tracking it. And basically he said, you know, you know, they would wait for me to have to approve it. They're waiting, they're waiting. And basically just said, you know what? I trust you just figure it out with your team. You know, As he said, counting days becomes stupid. I've hired you to do the job. Make sure not being at work doesn't impact everyone else. As long as you get your job done, I don't care how many days you take off. Mm-hmm. I get where he's coming from and I kind of, I, I don't mind that. Now, it's, it's kind of hard when you have, you know, veterinarians, uh, you know, we, we do need to service our clients, but it's we've we've done the same thing. It's like, you want to take a day off, take it, but make sure your the rest of your team is on board, that there's support for you. There's on-call support. There is during the day support. Let's not be so um, micromanagers about this. I don't know. What do you think about that?
2: Mm-hmm. I, I like the idea, um, but I think, you know, thinking about it from the, the viewpoint of like customer service rep or a veterinary technician or something like that, you know, as long as the work is all done, well, they're, you know, it's not like they're necessarily working on projects. They're working on yeah. what, what is happening or what's coming to them. So yeah. I think, you know, there's still something to be said, like, you know, for saying, okay, this is the time I'm going to take off. And really what you're doing is just having the employee do the legwork rather than mm-hmm. the manager, yeah. uh, which I think is, yeah. um you know, but i think you know you still need to have, put a cap on it because you're always going to have people that are like well i'm going to take my 47th vacation day this year so, "Well, <laughs> no maybe not uh, yeah. but i think it's a good idea i think putting the responsibility in them and you know if uh they have to sort of self-limit themselves as to when they can have time off i don't have a problem with it necessarily
1: yeah cool all right. You know what we missed last time when we were doing this podcast is we missed our wins and fails. So this time we're going to make sure we don't. So uh, did you want to start with a win or fail? I'm happy to start. I'll start with my fail. All right. So
2: this is kind of just a societal uh, nature kind of fail. Just this article from the CBC uh, here in Canada, sort of our federal news agency or countrywide news agency that's a headline that says that COVID-19 could shutter more than 200,000 Canadian businesses forever. Uh, and this is a report from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. So one in six business owners are contemplating shutting down. And I think, uh, you know, I, I hate to to really criticize anything that the government's doing because it's an impossible job. And I, I think you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. But uh, I think You know, what they're saying here is that people don't necessarily disagree with having some kind of restrictions, uh, but they do disagree with closing their facilities outright or their stores outright. And they're really looking for the government to help them come up with a framework where they can still be open and still do some kind of business. Because the alternative, you know, it doesn't just affect them, you know, we're laying people off and then it affects the economy as a whole. So um, they say that... Based on the organization's updated forecast, more than 2.4 million people could be out of work. Uh, 20% of private sector jobs—that is a lot of people in Canada. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have like, 32 million people in Canada, uh, the entire country. That's a significant amount. Um, so I think that you know having any business at significant risk of having to you know close permanently is uh, kind of a disaster. Yep. And uh, I don't know what the answer is. And I mean, ultimately, you know, government support is wonderful, but uh, we all pay for it in the end. So uh, they're saying they should be reducing or replacing subsidies with sales by introducing safe pathways
1: to reopen businesses.
2: Uh, And I agree. So that is my fail.
1: What about yours? Uh, My fail is, so we're in Ontario, Canada, and the day after Christmas, we went into... uh more of a lockdown and then they made the lockdown more aggressive uh, i think the second week of january uh more on the european style model yet at the same time many of the government officials who are saying don't you know don't travel don't do any necessary travel we you know we, we just don't you know just stick to your bubble don't go anywhere well then we find out and this is all across canada across all political parties so many of government officials went on vacations they went to the caribbean they went to one went to europe and you're like you know this is like leadership lesson one on one one-on-one it's like do what you want others to do you've got to walk the walk talk the talk and it was just so discouraging and so many people in canada And we have seen it in other areas, too. Every country, I'm sure, has examples where you're like, hey, I'm sacrificing. I didn't see anybody over Christmas. I'm trying to do what's right because businesses are getting shut down. And the quicker we're out of this, the better. And you think you're above it and you can go out there. And it just, it drives me insane. We had one person who's one of the top business leaders in Canada. She's otherwise an exemplary story of a great business person. And she's on this COVID-19 task force. And they're the ones that have helped put together the recommendations that we should all follow. And then we find out that she was vacationing in the Caribbean over, over the winter. And it's just like, don't you get it? When they say, well, we're all in this together, except not maybe me because I'm on a vacation and I'm better and uh, that kind of arrogance and cluelessness, is so destructive to the trust that we're supposed to have in our leaders that they know what they're doing about this and that they're just demonstrating and sacrificing like they're asking everybody else to do. So that's my fail.
2: Yes, that is uh, exemplary. That is a really good example of a fail, for
1: sure. So, but let's add on a high note. What's, what's your uh, win
2: Okay, so my win is very—I uh, don't know. I think it—it it shows the power of being an engaged and happy, uh, in the moment type employee. So this story is out of um, the Toronto area here in Ontario, Canada, and basically there's a gentleman, Vishnu, who works at a Tim Horton's drive-through uh and he is just like a bubbly guy everybody looks forward to seeing him
1: tim hortons just everybody knows is like the biggest coffee chain in canada like there's more tim hortons here than there are mcdonald's it's just it's a national institution
2: yes so he works at the drive-through and there are people who uh look forward to seeing him every day uh, because he is just like the nicest guy. Like he asks them about their families. He gives weather reports. He does fist bumps. He's just like a really happy dude. Uh, and you know, there are people who will drive through the drive-thru and not even order anything, but just want to see him that day. So he's just a really good dude. So it turns out that he basically had to make a decision between, um, going to school or working, you know, he had financial constraints. He was at studying IT at York University, which is a university near Toronto up here. And uh, he couldn't keep working because he just didn't have the money and he couldn't juggle the money in a job. And it's, you know, not a, um, an unfamiliar story, I'm sure. So one of the clients heard that uh, Vishnu was not going to be able to go back to school. And he actually organized a GoFundMe campaign. Uh, and okay. raised the money for Vishnu to be able to go back to school. So I think that's a pretty uh, pretty awesome thing. They raised uh, close to $10,000 with 200 people donating. So these are also that's wonderful. People, you know, he's made that big of an impact on that many people's lives. I think that that's, it just goes to show you the power of having those people who are very engaged and very customer focused and very genuine. So I think it's a, it's a great story.
1: It is. Yeah. I already feel better about my day already. Oh, good. Yeah. My win, I don't know if it's a win, but I just thought it was something really cool. And it's something um, my wife found and sent to to both of us, actually. And it is a bracelet. And it's called the Mood Beam Bracelet.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we were talking about performance review, but it's sort of in, – in, and we have talked before about sort of doing – internal reviews to just sort of sort of gauge how people are doing, especially during the the pandemic. And it's basically a bracelet that has two choices, sort of like smiley face and frowny face of how you're feeling at work. So when you're at work, you can just sort of sit there and go, you know, I'm feeling good. So I'm going to press the, uh, the pink button or the blue button rather. And if I'm not loving my day today, I'm going to, you know, press the black button type thing. And, I just thought it was a neat way and I thought it was an innovative way to, as as management or as head of the team, to sort of see where people are. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people we just sort of trudge along, we, we put up with a lot. But you know, it's nice to know that all of a sudden, wow, everybody is in a good groove today, that's nice. Or, you know, if we, like ourselves, we've got a couple of locations. If you see one that's, everybody's really happy and the other one's not, it's, it's at least it gives you the clue as the leader to sort of investigate. So I've looked at the website. It looks interesting. My only question with it is I would prefer if it was all anonymous and not just specific to a person. I'd rather just have the mood of the team. I think if it's just going to be a person showing up, it's like, oh, Mike's always, he's always miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to be wanting to to check in. So anyway, I just thought it was, I like innovation and, a, and a, what we're trying to talk about and taking care of people that this may be a tool or a tool like that, that can help us be more responsive in the moment, mm-hmm. as opposed to waiting for your annual employee engagement survey or, or waiting for, you know, the our development review to understand that people maybe aren't as happy as we thought they were.
2: Yeah, it really reminded me of, um, you know, at the grocery store, at least uh, one of the grocery store chains that I go to, they on the way out, you, uh, there's like a little stand and you either slap on a a happy face button or a sad face button. And it's like, what was your experience here like today? And it's just on your way out, you just tap it. And obviously they aggregate that information. So I think it's a really neat idea. I mean, you know, like you said, it'd be better if you could, it was more of an overall thing rather than just tied to one person, but definitely a cool idea.
1: Well, hey, Katie, great catching up again. We'll be back in two weeks. Again, if anybody has any questions or any suggestions for uh, a topic, you can contact us at info at oculusinsights.net or any of our uh, social media uh, platforms. You can all just search Oculus Insights. We're there. Thanks, Katie.
2: Thanks, Mike.
1: Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.